Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. By the way, that voice is Charlie Weiss, who's in for DJ today and tomorrow. We welcome Charlie into the fold. Thank you, thank you. I always love the quick takes. I actually, I don't know if you know this. I've stolen this bit. Did you know? I do this? know. I was listening one night. Yeah. Uh, or no, listening one day during the uh, the huddle. Yep. Sunday. Yes. Sunday mornings. Well, and we changed I felt the name. Violated. We changed the name now. Well, good. Uh, but it's a sports. My we got copyright a sports lawyers are being in. Con- will be in contact. Well, let's uh, let's get right into it. All it's right. Adam and Adam today, all four for Adam. Adam, we've been hearing about it more and more and more and more and more since the pandemic. Flights and the crazy things that happen on them. The most recent headline coming uh, yesterday, I believe it was uh, yesterday afternoon, was a plane had to turn around after a, of course, drunk passenger decided to start biting the flight crew, and that got me thinking, obviously we know that's unacceptable, but Adam, what's your worst flight experience? I'm also asking this to get this off my chest. I've got a flight coming up, and I need to hear the horror story. Here's the thing. That was very Jason to Russia like of me. Here's Here's the the thing. thing. I, I am shocked and surprised, but I'm very fortunate that I have traveled quite a bit over the last several years, so I'm on... I'm not like a commuter or a business flyer where I'm on, you know, weekly or every other week, but I've taken my share, fair share of flights. I, and I'm knocking on wood here, I have not had an experience with an unruly passenger. I mean, you get like the moments where, like, coming back from a trip a couple of years ago, a guy stood up right after we landed and was like walking down the aisle and the stewardess was yelling, the flight attendant was yelling, sit down, we'll turn this place. It's like, well, we're landing, you know, it's like, that's a jackass move. Or the people who, you know, try to rush up and you can tell there's tension, but nothing has ever escalated to where, you know, people have actually started shouting. I've ne- I haven't seen it. So maybe I'm just fortunate. Um, But yeah, do we really... Did- I mean, haven't people always kind of been acting like this and we just see more of it now because we all have phones? I think yes and no. I, I think it has increased. I mean, I think the mental health in this country yes. has declined. Uh, and you throw alcohol into yeah. the mix. Yeah. Uh, so. a, alcohol, uh, the tension of flying, I think even people who think, oh, no, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not a f- frightened flyer, I think there's still tension. Yeah. There's a collective tension. I think that, that shocks me about it the most is there's just not really much of a rule – to ban these people from flights after Correct. This. You can just go to another airline because yeah. it's only every airline has their own list. But, okay, I'm just not flying Delta anymore after right. I get the stewardess. You know, United doesn't know. Yeah, if you, uh, get pulled off, if you get pulled off a flight, what should the – like, what there should be a what? At least a six-month no-fly oh, rule? More than, I, would say more than, I would say at least a year. A year no-fly. Yeah. Any airline. Like, the FAA should slap a no – if you get pulled off a flight – I think so. I think oh, that's yeah. fair. I would say so. All right. We'll move on to number two. We're heading out to the state of California. Uh, governor Gavin Newsom, the Democrat, uh, Democratic governor of California, has saved the uh, House California Democrats from themselves. This is the quintessential California Democrats bill that he has vetoed. Uh, banning tackle football. 
Oh, the, banning it all together. Well, for children. Okay. For children. Um, he's decided, you know, maybe maybe that isn't actually going to do much, and it's just going to be fodder and all of that kind of things. So he, he has vetoed that bill that had gone through the, the uh, legislature in the state of California banning uh, children playing tackle football. Is this but like 12 and under? 12 and under. Yeah, we talked about this uh, on the show the other day. It does, though, bring up a question of is there any sort – should there be any sort of governmental oversight for things that can injure children, that can that can hurt them, sports in general? Do you think there should be any legislative uh, interference here or should it completely, completely be a parent's decision? We talked about that, and my argument with the 12 and under football is, like, I can see the reaction saying, yeah, we don't need, like, 8-year-olds, 9-year-olds playing tackle football. But at the same time, they just kind of bounce off each yeah, other. Yeah, that's right. We, ens- really we ensconce them in pads. Pads, by the way, that are 100 times better than when I played football. So I get a little leery of saying, okay. Well, it explains a lot. <laughs> it does explain a yeah. lot. A lot of head, head-to-head contact. Who am I? Um, but, and I still, I, 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 because, and we've seen the numbers drop, and that's not because the government is stepping in. It's because par- there's a lot of parents who say, no, nah, I don't want my kids playing football. Oh, yeah. So, now I think we can let parents decide on that one. All right, moving on to number three here. Uh, News dropped yesterday that the University of Minnesota, at the very least, is studying the feasibility of either upgrading uh, Williams Arena or potentially building an entirely new arena uh, instead of the classic old barn. There's obviously been a lot of talk among proponents and detractors of the classic barn for many years. This is not a new issue, but the uh, excuse me, but the uh, the. You know what, let's just skip right to the questions. You know, that happens sometimes. Live radio, brain turned off for a second. It's all right. Should we upgrade or replace Williams Arena? What are are your thoughts on the classic old buildings? I mean, do you think that there's any utility to it and it should just be upgraded interiorly? Or is it just screw it, tear it down, build the newest, better thing? I think you can upgrade it. I think, you know, if you look at the, it probably is just as expensive to upgrade it as to build a new one. Probably. I mean, they, yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, with the uh, with upgrades the they need to building. make. Yes. Um, or, you know, I, I'm f- honestly, if the, first of all, I'm not tied at all to keeping Williams Arena as is. They need to upgrade. I'm sorry. That's part. It's not, you can't tell a kid coming here, hey, this is a classic old school. Look at the raised floor. This is a legendary uh, basketball arena. They don't want that. They want the, the modern looking basketball court they want one that gets loud when they play so either whatever's feasible upgrade it or replace it i think if you replace it make it like keep the elements of the old williams arena at least aesthetically where you you know you hearken back to the old Mm. arena just like with the huntington bank and the brick and the classic look uh, hearkening back to Memorial Stadium. So, yes, but it's long overdue. Yeah. But you don't think there's it. necessarily a, a need for something. I mean, you could consider Williams Arena, you know, it's not, obviously, it's not these, but similar to like a Fenway Park or, mm-hmm. you know, a Wrigley Field where it's just these classic and it's been going for hundreds of years. 
But you say screw it. Uh, if if it needs to be replaced, it needs to be replaced. Yes, and I got to be honest with you. I mean, I know, Wrigley maybe, but I've I've been at both Wrigley and Fenway. They're old. They're you know obviously they're classic ballparks, but I like new ones too. So, all right. Moving on here, we heard uh, this at the top of the hour on the CBS News. Uh, the Uvalde School Massacre Report is out. Uh, and as they said at the top of the hour, it's a pretty damning report. It outlines the breakdowns in communications, leadership, and really the action, stating pretty succinctly that it could have been stopped sooner. Yep. It could have happened sooner. Uh, that the shooting would have stopped. We hear about these reports years later all the time from Newtown to Vegas and now Uvalde. And yes, obviously, you know, we could talk about the greater societal issues at play here, guns, mental health, all of these these things that are um, leading into these shootings. But when we hear about these direct failures of the individuals involved with supposedly keeping kids and communities safe, despite the dearth of training in these situations over the last few years, should there be criminal charges? Should there be something come up with that people that truly fail in these situations should be charged? Well, if we're going to charge police officers and convict them for too much violence or unnecessary violence, should we charge them for lack of action? I, I mean, it's easy to look at the situation and say, my God, this is your job. You are trained to handle these types of situations. Mm-hmm. Why on earth didn't you do something about it? But at the same time, I can see the argument saying, and not in the, maybe not in this specific case, but in cases where a police officer now is hesitant to take action because of the consequences of said action based on what we've seen. And I'm not, this isn't an argument saying, hey, free Derek Chauvin, because I don't think he did anything wrong. No, but if, if I'm saying do other... Police officers, are they concerned about the actions they take in certain circumstances? Absolutely. And it, it can work to the converse, too, to the opposite, saying I'm not – and I'm not – again, I'm not saying that Uval, that this was a failure in Uvalde. But it's absolutely something that now is is something we, we should consider. Um, but, boy, this case is like do 77 minutes. I mean, an absolute failure on many, many levels. Yeah, obviously, I've not read the full report, but I've, I've, a lot of it. I, what I've understood is that it just confirms the kind of the earlier yes. reporting that is leaked out. But and I mean, with uh, you know, I, the question I asked, I think there, I wish there could be something done because somebody should be blamed, you know, for, right. for not getting in there sooner. But the question is, how do you, how do you legislate that? Right? How do you right? How do you how do you well, legislate you cowardice or or right. Lack of training. Uh, it's very hard to do. My gut says, yeah, that somebody needs right. to pay for this. But how do you do that? Yeah, I guess it's command strike. It's, it's, we, we, you know, the buck stops at the top is the old adage, or the buck stops here. It's, it's the people who are in charge at that moment in time. But yeah, and, and again, I'll, I'll go back to what I said. It's, I, I do not. I fully believe that there are police officers out there now that are hesitant to take certain actions. Because based on the consequences they may face uh, in doing so. 1021 on News Talk 830, WCCO. Chime in on any of these topics we just covered. 651-461-9226. Also losing a bit of my uh, past with some news today. I'll discuss that next. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Coming up in about 10 minutes, um, don't talk to authors a lot on this show, but I'm making an exception for Dennis Van Norman. He's written a book called Threading the Kayak Down the Mississippi. He's taken a kayak all the way down the Mississippi River. And I talked to, uh, this was just the other day, about uh, Vanita uh, asked me if I could interview anybody, who would it be? And I guess I didn't have an answer, a direct answer as to a specific person. But the people that fascinate me are the people who take on these uh, physical slash mental endeavors that most of us shake our heads at thinking how and why. Like mountain climbers to me. I, I just, I am fascinated by these folks who climb these, the world's highest mountains at the most dangerous routes, because what makes a person like that tick? That's why I want to talk to people like that, trying to get to the bottom of, and it's always not just, well, you know, I'm an adventurous person. A lot of times there's something deep-seated in that person, whether it's their upbringing or something about how they were raised or about how they feel about themselves. Are they running away from something? Are they, do they have, for lack of a better term, a quote-unquote death wish? Those are the people that I love to talk to, that I want to talk to. And I'm certainly not suggesting that taking a kayak down the Mississippi River is on par with, you know, climbing the, uh, the Iger face of K2 or whatever it is. But it takes a special kind of person to say, you know what, I'm getting in a kayak and I'm going to go all the way down the Mississippi River. Not only just why you want to do that, but also the adventure of meeting those people along the way. And the ability to do it as well. Right. I mean, it's not a, an easy task. And this guy is uh, in his 70s. Yeah. So uh, threading the kayak down the Mississippi, a journey through rivers, cultures, and characters. Dennis Van Norman will uh, join me in about uh, eight or so minutes. Did you uh, ever read the, the article, I think it was in the Star Tribune many years ago, about Grimes trying to row down the Mississippi no. River? No. You know, Grimes, Elon Musk's ex-wife and, and musician. Oh, no, I had no idea. Uh, she built a, a houseboat, loaded it with live chickens and potatoes. Really? 20 pounds of potatoes. Uh, they they made it to an island in North <laughs> Minneapolis. That's it? That's it. That's where, where did she start, like right up by the, uh, wherever you can start? I mean, I know you uh, can't really start at the headwaters. No, she she started just a bit start- north of the city. She <laughs> really? Barely. Really? Made it, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, barely made it at all. We had a local connection to that story, and I totally passed over it. Yeah. Yeah, barely, barely made. Is there anything like a crazy physical slash mental activity that you might not be able to do, but you'd want to be able to do? Like, would you have any desire if you had the abilities to climb a mountain? Depends on the mountain. Yes, I think I would. I think like Kilimanjaro sounds cool, but Everest and like K2 and the Nepalese mountains, the the Himalayas, I have no. I mean, no. I'd climb a mountain if I could just, you know, if it was like a hike, even a steep hike. Yeah, I'd turn around. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, when you got to get actually get equip, equipment involved where yeah. you're, you know, repelling and stuff like that, if you're, you know, putting in the ice picks, 
Yeah, I think I'm. Lo- you're losing. Yeah, there. that's a bit much. I think it would be, but I'm trying to think of a big physical activity that I'd. I'd love the ability to go hella skiing. Yeah, that would be cool. Like that? Is that is that big enough? I don't no, think. that's pretty well. A sailing to me, like a sailing yeah. around the world. If I could do that, but like again, that's just as mental as it is physical. Could you be by yourself? Yeah. and sail around the world. I wouldn't want to. Right. That that someone's that's out. You're out on that. Humans are social creatures. I'm social. Helicopter skiing, someone says. Yeah. There you go. I saw a clip the other day of a video of a guy who's skiing, and he had like the, the, it was like a parasailing, but on downhill skis. It was insane. I've seen something like that. That looks so dangerous. It looks so dangerous, oh but boy, this guy was doing, like he was, all of a sudden he's going down the slope, and all of a sudden he rises up, and he's swooping up over the trees, doing flips. Uh, my, my husband is currently in Africa. They start their trek up Kilimanjaro tomorrow. How uh-huh. about that? Kilimanjaro is a fu- just a five-day hike. Wow. It's probably more than just an average hike. Yeah. Like, it's... I did the Camelback in Phoenix one time. Yeah. That's that's a hell of a hike. I've I was on all fours at, at, at various points, and I went the easy route. Yeah, There's an easy route and a hard route. Yeah, there that you got to get up, yeah. Uh, but there was a couple times when I was, like, on all fours crawling up the rock. And the biggest mistake I made, I didn't even bring a water bottle. Oh, well, but it was, was the, it was extremely <laughs> dumb. It was in the morning, so thankfully it wasn't the middle of the day heat. But when I got done, I was parched. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Van Norman, he's threaded his kayak all the way down the Mississippi River. We'll talk to him about that feat, why he wanted to do it, and the things he met along the way. That's coming up next. Very nice. What takes... What motivates a man to get in a kayak and go all the way down the Mississippi River? Well, let's ask a guy who's done it. Dennis Van Norman has undertaken that, and he's written a book about it, Threading a Kayak Down the Mississippi. Dennis, why why does one uh, get on the river in a kayak and say, you know what, I'm going all the way down? Okay. Uh, morning, Adam. Thanks morning. for having me on. Sure. Uh, it started with a phone call from my son who said, uh, I just bought a kayak. Uh, it's the best money I ever spent. And Earl and I are going down the river again tomorrow. Do you want to join us? Now, Earl is my grandson. He was two years old at the time. Two years old yeah. and getting in a kayak? Yeah, he was with uh, my son. My son was an adrenaline junkie yeah. who had crashed uh, snowmobiles. He had crashed a motorcycle. I asked him after he crashed his motorcycle, what was the fastest you've ever been? And he said... At 120, I didn't want to take a chance and Jeez. look at the speedometer anymore. Jeez. But so but the other motivation I had was I was uh, a genuine golf addict. I had golfed somewhere between 120, 140 rounds a year, wow. and I needed to do something else. So I. Bravo, by the way, to that. Give up the game of golf. Let's hear it for that. No, no kidding. No kidding. Best move I ever made on the course is to get off it. Me too. Uh, but so the next day, he uh, he pushed me off a concrete uh, slab at Boom Island, which is just above uh, downtown Minneapolis. And I said, what do I do now? And he says, you'll figure it out. And uh, so that started it. Uh, we had an afternoon. We went from Boom Island to uh, Hidden Falls, which is about eight miles on the river. It took us three hours. And uh, I got hooked. I... I uh, I had rented the kayak from REI. When I returned it, they were having a closeout sale on rentals. So I bought it that day, and I went 
uh, down uh, Hidden Falls the next day and uh, went from there to downtown St. Paul. And uh, uh, that's that's what got so, us started. So at what point do you say, you know what, I love this? Clearly, you know, we've all been there where we pick up something. We're like, oh, I love doing this. At what point do you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all the way down the river? Uh, well, it took me 13 years to do the whole thing. Okay. And I don't think I decided on the whole river in the first eight years. The first five years, all I did was day trips. Uh, some of them with people that I could talk into going, and a lot of them by myself because they got sick of uh, uh, paddling. But uh, after five years, there was a fellow that I knew. His name was Henry Creeple, and he was a legitimate world adventure. He was a mountain climber. He'd been on Everest. He'd been on uh, uh, Kilimanjaro. He'd been on Denali, all these. And he said, I understand you like kayaking. I uh, I looked at a map. It should take us three days to get from Itasca to Bemidji. He says, you want to go? And I said, I haven't been camping in 40 years. <laughs> He says, I've got all the camping gear. And I says, what's your kayaking like? And he said, I've never been in one. Do you need a helmet? <laughs> and uh, so that was good enough for me. We had a practice run on the river right below South St. Paul. You're familiar with that, I yep, believe. Yep, my hometown. And, uh, and from there we went, uh, made a three-day trip, 62 miles. And uh, the next year we did the same. We went from our takeout point and we we got another uh, 60 miles out through the other end of Winnemagashus. And so that started me with the overnights. And uh, then I said, I want to do all of Minnesota. I want to do all the Mississippi and Minnesota. And I thought, that's 400 miles. The next year I realized it's actually 670 miles. So I lost a lot of miles in my goal, but I... Uh, I had that as a goal, and uh, then I just kept going. Uh, each year, I would plan some trips, uh, so uh, get me off the golf course and get on the river. Uh, I learned two things. One, when I started, I had read probably 20 different books about going down the Mississippi mm-hmm. in kayaks, canoes, rafts, whatever. And it was all about the people they met. And that was not my plan. I wanted to do a, a Walden on the water. I said, there's enough nature for me, for me to enjoy. I don't need the people. And I, I found out I could not have been more wrong. Huh. It was about the people. Uh, two things I learned. Uh, Tina Turner talks about people on the river are happy to give. Absolutely true. And, uh, Another fellow, John Rusky, who is an expert on the lower Mississippi, says the Mississippi River connects us all. And uh, those two things were probably the the primary themes that I uh, lived uh, over 13 years making my way down. We are talking uh, to uh, Dennis Van Norman, who wrote a book about threading a kayak down the Mississippi, a journey through the river's cultures and characters. So give us a flavor of some of the more interesting characters you met and, and how you came across them. Well, one was I was I was on a trip, and I was going to be picked up in two days. Uh, but I had made arrangements to get picked up in one town two days from there. 
I had developed a, a major rash on my arm and, uh, uh, and it wasn't working and there was a golf tournament that I did want to get to. And, uh, so I, uh, I said, I'm going to call the guy and see if we can't get, uh, get it, uh, set up so he can pick me up sooner. And, uh, and not quite as far down the river. So I pulled ashore. I found out I had zero, uh, cell service. Didn't have a thing. Hmm. And this was a deserted beachhead. There was a group of motorcyclists that were just leaving. And, uh, and, uh, I stopped the last one and, uh, they were decked out in their black leathers I had my orange flotation. I'll just read a couple sections. Uh, I asked if they might have a phone with service. They happily obliged, and I made my phone call. You want a beer, they offered? No, thanks. My last one was quite a few years back. The biker responded. Oh, they wanted me to do that. What was the name of that place I went? The place with the initials? The lady rider replied, you mean AA? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I got there, listened to their ideas. And it sounded like they wanted me to quit. Well, that was enough for me. I'm not a quitter. (laughs) I don't drink that much anyway. What do we have today? I think we just had a six-pack here at the river. Uh, We had a few on the bike, replied the woman. And then the ones we had in the bars. I thanked them for their hospitality phone and visit. We snapped a quick photo. The hog growled, and they were off. So it was, and we met some... uh, some Cajuns on the Atchafalaya River, huh. which is also part of the trip. And uh, one guy there was talking about trouble he had had with one of his uh, calm neighbors. He says, I've been hunting this area since I was a boy. And this one guy said, I don't think you're supposed to be here. And we kept running into each other. And then he said, I thought it was a nice phrase. Now, I'm the one that will fight at the drop of a hat, and sometimes I'm the one dropping the hat. And he explained, <laughs> I waited for him one day, and he passed me, and he, I said, where are you going? He says, I'm going hunting. He says, no, you're not. Why not? Because I cut the tree down that your deer stand is in. Oh, and, uh, and so and each of these were totally unexpected. Yeah. But, uh yeah. Let me ask you, you this. Don't know what you're going to get. Go ahead, Dennis. You ever get a like ever get in a scary situation on any of those journeys where either either people or nature where you thought, boy, I'm in serious trouble here. Uh, yeah, I, uh, St. Louis Harbor. There was probably four or five of those moments on Lake Pepin. I accidentally got caught up in a a sailboat regatta where I was not supposed to be, but <laughs> uh, but the. Uh, uh, but the St. Louis Harbor is 10 miles of heavy traffic. The Missouri River had just come in a few miles above St. Louis, and it was flooding, and there were literally thousands of trees floating down the river. And uh, and there's no place to pull off. Uh, the barges are all parked up. And so I was threading my way down the right side of the river, uh, next to the barges that were parked there and about 500 yards below me a tugboat pulled out from between the barges and he was coming right up the river right towards me oh. and i figured there was maybe 
there's going to be 50 yards between me and the barges and the tugboat. And uh, I recall my daughter's advice. Every time before I left, my daughter Kelly would say, Dad, don't go. You're going to die. And uh, and so that was my thought. I said, this might happen. And I wasn't worried about hitting the tugboat because there's going to be space in between. But the weight behind the tugboat is, that's 10 feet high. Yeah. It, they call them haystacks. It's a mountain. And uh, just a little bit, as we got closer and closer in this game of chicken, uh, the tugboat swerved to his right, giving me room to come through. Oh, boy. And uh, I realized afterwards I had a guide with me that was trailing me, and he was pretty far back. And he had a radio, and he, when we connected afterwards, he said, I saw the predicament, and I, uh, I called and said uh, to the skipper, there's an orange kayak bearing down on you. Hmm. And uh, the skipper said, oh, snap. Wow. Uh, I cleaned that up for the radio. Yeah. He, says, he said, kayaks look like logs. Yes on our radar and we were in a sea of uh we were in a forest of uh of trees floating down the river so that was the scariest moment yeah. there was a few others yeah. but there are also some very serene moments yep. uh both on the nat- on the nature side and on the people side uh so i think there were about four or five real life affirming instances we got about a minute uh, minute left here dennis what was the most yeah. beautiful spot of the river Minnesota's got the best part of the river. Uh, absolutely. You're just saying, and, come on now. No, it does. Uh, down south, you can't see anything because the levees uh, run for 1,000 miles on both sides of the river. So oh. there's no towns. Uh, one quick thing in the last few minutes. I really want to thank WCCO. Uh, I, my plan now is uh, I did the river. I got the book. Don Shelby helped me with the forward. Uh, and now I'm in a phase of promoting it, and WCCO has helped. Uh, someone listened to it the other day when they were interviewing somebody from Northern Soda in New Brighton, and they talk about having tales from the tap room where they had an author come in and read, and because of that, an email was sent, and now uh, February 4th, I'm going to be giving a, a talk about uh, the trip uh, at uh, Northern Soda in New Brighton, and uh, I've also listened to you interview Patty Wetterling, yep. dear Jacob, and uh, Tony Mish- or, uh, Tommy Mischke. Yep. Tommy Mischke had been interviewed by John Hines, Winter's Tale. And Each me. of the, I've met those three or those two because of this. Uh, we're all nominees for the Minnesota Book Awards. Excellent. And I've, I've traded books with both of them. And uh, so it's been a real fun experience. Uh, the river, the book park. Edith Squires is an editor that I found here. Don Shelby helped me out, and uh, who's Don? I've never, I've never, place. I've never heard of Don Shelby. What, what did he do? Uh, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Dennis, we got to run. So uh, February fourth, Northern Soda Brewing in New Brighton. Yep. We'll uh, we'll two, two o'clock. Two o'clock. <laughs> the book is threading a kayak down the Mississippi. The author is Dennis Van Norman. Dennis, thank you for the time today. Best of luck to you, sir. Uh, Adam, I want to meet with us at the state fair and tell you how my uh, book promotion tour is going. We'll, we'll, I'll write you down and we'll have you out at the fair. Thank you, sir.
Thank you very much. Bye now. Thank you. 1050. Uh, would you take a kayak down the Mississippi River? The craziest thing you've ever done, whether it's in nature or otherwise. 651-461-9226. Your calls and texts next. Craziest thing I ever did? Zip line across Royal jo- Royal Gorge in Colorado. It's the highest zip line in the U.S. Uh, that was from a texter. Craziest thing I uh, did is run the Twin Cities Marathon at age 60. I've never run before. Found out later that both my femurs had stress fractures. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, you got to learn how to run. Yeah, you got to condition yourself first. Don't, uh, don't just jump into it. I would not recommend it. No. I, of course, marathons. I mean, there was a time in my life I might have considered running a marathon. Uh, those really? days yeah, I'd, like there was a time where I, I really jogged fitness. pretty regularly, and there was you know they call that runner's high where you get out there and at a certain point where it's just like yeah I love to do this and I think I did eight miles one time was the most. And then you figured out. Then I figured out my legs would never be able to. Oh, I thought you figured recover. out there are, there are other highs. Yes, yeah, who needs the runner's <laughs> exactly. high? When you're at? Right. Uh, jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. A couple people saying that. Yeah, the the uh, the parachuting, the skydiving. I don't think that's for me either. You know, I thought I had secured a celebrity uh, replacement for Dear Jordana, and I haven't done that. So I'm wondering, is there a listener out there who would like to uh, dole out advice today? That would be 651-461-9226. If you want to be Dear Jordana's replacement today, if you think you're a regular Dear Abby, uh, why don't you call us right now? 651-461-9226. But up next... Our friend, my friend and yours, our uh, congressman from Minnesota, who's now running for president, Dean Phillips, uh, says, I'm not bought and paid for. I got a little question about that because it sure seems like it because he got a big donation and something on his website changed. Is Dean telling the truth about that? Hmm, let me think. I don't think so. Uh, we'll get into that and other things, too, next on WCCO. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.